0: Well, last week, we kicked off our summer teaching series here at The Journey, which we're calling Best Supporting Actors, the New Testament edition. Last year, we did an Old Testament version of this. We're looking at the lives of some characters, uh, some people whose lives are portrayed in the Bible and the New Testament. Maybe not the most prominent people displayed there, but people who God worked in and through their lives in some really profound ways and today we're going to be looking at someone who I really think fits the bill for a best supporting actor, and that is Andrew. Andrew in the New Testament. Now, on the one hand, Andrew was one of the twelve apostles of Jesus, so not a real minor role in the whole thing. But Andrew himself doesn't get a whole lot of press in the New Testament. By contrast, Andrew's brother, Peter, It's one of the real leading men, you could say, of the New Testament. Peter is very prominent. If the New Testament had a movie poster, Peter would most definitely be on it. He was the most prominent of the apostles, the most outspoken, the most quoted. Peter's the one who got to step out and walk on water with Jesus. Peter's the one that Jesus chose and said, You are the rock upon which I'm going to build my church. And Peter ended up writing a couple of the books in the New Testament and in the, the book of Acts, which is the history of the early church in the New Testament, Andrew only gets mentioned once, and it's as part of a list, whereas Peter has whole chapters devoted to his actions, his words are recorded there as holy scripture. Uh, Peter's very prominent, and even in Andrew's shining moment, which we're going to look at today, he's introduced to us as Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, not just Andrew, uh, reminds me of when I got to high school. My rather popular older sister was still there. And I show up, oh, I'm Paul. Who are you? What? Well, Cindy Joyle's brother. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. That, I, I get that. You're, you're somebody. I don't know if any of you have ever lived in the shadow of a sibling, but imagine Andrew living in, in Peter's shadow. Peter, the rock, the the one upon whom Jesus built his church, the one who really started things. led thousands and thousands of people to faith in Jesus, who in turn led more thousands. And really any of us who claim to be part of the church today can trace the lineage back in some ways to Peter. But you could argue that all of the amazing things that happened in Peter's life, all the profound ways that God worked and moved in him, may not have happened if it weren't for Andrew, if it weren't for his brother and the invitation that he made. We're going to look at that today. It's in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. So if you'll turn there with me, if you've got your own Bible or the ones in the, in the pews, it's on page 750 in most of them. John, chapter 1, we're going to look at the time when Peter meets Jesus for the first time. We'll start in verse 35. A lot has already happened in the first chapter of John as we get to this point. And uh, there's a lot of Johns going on here. So John, the guy who wrote the gospel, is, is one. And then uh, right up until our story, we've been look, they've been looking at John the Baptist. John the Baptist was kind of a forerunner of Jesus. We met his mother, Elizabeth, last week, another great supporting actor. Uh, John the Baptist was a prophet, had quite a following, someone who was calling people to get right with God. He was was preparing the way for Jesus, calling people to to get their hearts right with God so they would be prepared to encounter Jesus. And so John had quite a following. Even secular historians will attest to the fact that he was pretty famous and had a, a large following and led a renewal movement in the first century. So that's the John we're talking about in verse 35. It says, The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. So we meet Andrew here. Andrew was, was a follower, a disciple of John the Baptist, which tells us Andrew was really someone who was hungry for God, someone who, who really wanted to know God and kind, kind of was out there following John the Baptist, uh, looking for God. And there's a moment comes, Jesus appears, and John points to him and says, oh, he's the one, follow him. And so Andrew and someone else turn, and they stop following John, and they follow Jesus instead. Uh, And Jesus invites them to come and to be with him. They spent the day together, we're told. And when we're told it was about four in the afternoon, it's implied that they stayed the night, that Andrew kind of stayed wherever it was that Jesus was staying. They probably had a meal together, enjoyed some significant time together. And whatever happened during that time really made an impression on Andrew. He was, he was taken with Jesus and who, who he is. We don't know all the details, but, but verse 41 says this afterwards. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is peter so this is the moment when peter meets jesus for the first time the other gospels record a later incident when jesus calls to peter and andrew and some others to once and for all kind of leave everything and to follow him and to join him in his mission but this is the first time that peter meets jesus and it comes at the invitation of his brother andrew andrew introduced them andrew got there first really and in this case, it was not something for him to, to hold over his brother or rub his nose in it, but Andrew being there first put him in a position where he could open up his circle to those closest to him, where he could say, hey, Simon, you've got to meet this guy. First thing he did, this is kind of our, our key verse, the first thing Andrew did to find his brother Simon, to tell him who he'd found, and to bring him to Jesus. So profound. It really is the kind of supporting actor role that anyone who knows Jesus at all is meant to have. There's no guarantee that people would respond the way that that Peter ended up responding. There's no guarantee that if we tell people about Jesus and bring people to Jesus, that it'll have the kind of impact that Peter had, but it's not the point. The, The first thing, a natural outflow, a natural response to coming to know Jesus, to coming to know his love and his grace and his power in our lives, is to find people, to tell them about him, and to bring people to Jesus to widen that circle, to open it up to others that others might know him too. It's a profound role that Andrew played in the life of who ended up becoming a a true world changer. And it's a role that anyone who claims allegiance, anyone who knows Jesus or knows anything about him can, can play, to tell others to bring them to him as well so that others might know him. The fancy church word for this is evangelism. And it's a bit of a loaded word depending on your experience in or out of church. It may have different meaning or different baggage for you. But at at the heart, the root of the word is simply to tell good news, to share good news. That's exactly what Andrew does here. He's found some good news, found great news. He's found Jesus, and he shares that with those close to him. Really as simple as that and a profound role to have in someone's life. So I want to look a little bit about at this role that Andrew has to see what we can learn about the role that we can play in doing the same. So Andrew's role in Simon's life and in this encounter here, first of all, it's both holy and ordinary. It's both a holy thing and a very ordinary thing that we see here. I mean, on one hand, this is a holy moment in the world, and it's a holy moment in Peter's life. It changes the trajectory of his life, his eternal destination forever It's going to lead to a whole new destiny for Peter, a whole new identity. His name gets changed. Like nothing's ever going to be the same again. As he has encountered Jesus, he has encountered the living God right there, face to face. He's never going to be the same. And it's a holy moment in his life, a world altering, eternity altering thing. It's a holy thing. And really, evangelism, if you think about it, is, is a very holy thing. It actually is fraught with the possibility of people coming face-to-face with the living God and encountering God in their lives. That's a profound thing. It, it can shape destinies, identities, change people forever, and have eternal implications and consequences. So it really is quite a holy thing to tell people of Jesus and to bring people to him. Now, if you only think of it that way uh, and only see kind of the holiness and the, and the weight of evangelism, it can be a little intimidating. You think, oh, I, well, I don't know if I can do that. It might seem like something that requires perhaps extraordinary people or extraordinary wisdom or knowledge or extraordinary ability or courage or extraordinary circumstances. But this is actually a pretty ordinary story. Just the guys talking, meeting each other, uh, Jesus kind of gets down to earth with Andrew. Uh, oh, come and come and see where I'm staying. They share a meal together, probably just ate whatever people ate in first century Galilee at the time. They hung out in a regular home. They spoke the regular language the people. And then Andrew does a pretty normal thing. He tells his brother where he's been and who he's met and, and what he's been up to. It's nothing all that crazy or mysterious or extraordinary. And Andrew's not an extraordinary person. He's an ordinary guy. He has no particular genius when it comes to the things of God. We're told that he was a he was a fisherman, uh, but he knows that he's found Jesus and there's something really amazing there and so he opens that up to his brother. It's pretty ordinary, but at the same time, wow, in the midst of all this ordinary stuff, these ordinary circumstances and ordinary people, God does something amazing and holy and wonderful. And that's really what what evangelism is is what the holiness the, the, the transcendence of God and impacts people and meets people in ordinary circumstances, in ordinary life, where the holy meets the ordinary in profound ways. In some ways, that's really what all of the first chapter of John's gospel is about. In the beginning, John does a a brilliant job explaining kind of Jesus, the eternal word of God coming to dwell among us. And and verse 14 says this, it'll be on the screen. The, The message translates it this way, that the word became flesh and blood And moved into the neighborhood. This is really what God is all about in Jesus—is the holy, the transcendent, the all-powerful God of the universe coming and making Himself known in ordinary circumstances, ordinary places, and ordinary lives. The holy meeting the ordinary, and honestly, that's where He meets Uh, us—not in some special, ultra-spiritual realm somewhere, but actually right where we are. I remember someone who played the role of an Andrew in, in my own life. His name is Adam. Uh, I've told those of you who've been here that I I came to faith in Jesus when I was a college student, and a real turning point, holy moment conversation that happened for me along the way happened in a pretty regular place, uh, in a dorm hallway, Claflin Hall, third floor. Remember it distinctly. Some of the posters hanging on the wall, and it was not a a particularly holy place. It was late on a Friday night, and I would not been doing some particularly holy things but my friend Adam came home late and I said, hey man, where have you been? And he pretty straightforward told me he'd been at a Bible study. He'd, he'd found uh, this kind of group of Christians on campus who'd been studying the Bible together and, and was pretty open with me about how he'd been finding some real life and meaning and, and joy in that place. And something about that just grabbed me, grabbed hold of me. And, and before I knew it, I blurted out, well, hey, man, make sure you invite me next time. I want to go. And he did. The rest is history. When I mean, Jesus grabbed hold of my life, I've never been the same. And Adam and I continue, we, we regularly look back on that conversation, imagine, well, what if that never happened? My gosh, I've never been the same. He's changed my whole identity, my whole course, my whole trajectory in life. I'm captivated by Jesus from that point forward. Uh, but Pretty ordinary stuff, just a couple of guys hanging out in the dorm talking, and uh, I'm just so grateful that's what Jesus is like. You know, he was not going to wait for me to clean up my act, not going to wait for me to get my stuff together, not going to wait for me to come find a church, which I never would have done, not wait for me to ask even a really super spiritual question. All I asked was, hey, where were you tonight? And he intervened in that moment and grabbed hold of me. It's a beautiful thing. That's what Andrew does here in the course of ordinary lives and ordinary circumstances. Man, God really grabs hold of his brother. And really, any place can be a place where, where God shows up, does something holy and special. Shortly after I came to faith in college, I went home for a break for a little while one time, and, and there was a friendly restaurant that my friends and I used to like to go to in, in my town. And, and somehow along the way, I picked up that you, you can pray before meals. That's something that, that Christians do. And so one night I was there, and the food came, and so I, I bowed my head and, and closed my eyes. And, and then I put the waitress in that really awkward position, like, well, do I put the ketchup down now? Should I come back? Like, should I wait? Um, but then I kind of opened my eyes back up again, and, and I'd met her a time or two before. Her name was Cassie, and she said, well, what, what were you doing? I said, oh, I was just talking to God. I do that before, before I eat. Said, oh, I, I didn't know you did that. So, said, well, I, I do now. And so I t- started to tell her a little bit about what, what had happened, and then she came back a few other times, ended up sitting down for a while just to hear my story of coming to faith. She was really taken by it. Uh, so I came back a couple more times during that break, and then before I went back, I made sure to show up during her shift one time and just gave her the Bible that I had. I thought, well, I should leave her with this. I, I found found Jesus through reading the Bible, so let me leave it with her. And I never really kept up with Cassie after that, but last I'd heard, a couple years later, she was actually pretty on fire for Jesus and reading that Bible. Started with a, you know, friendlies. God can show up anywhere in ordinary lives, ordinary circumstances, and do something holy and profound. The two really come together in Jesus, where the holy meets the ordinary any you know, any place, not any other place than where you find yourself on a regular basis and not through any other kind of extraordinary people, but people just, just like you and me, the holy and the extraordinary. So that's one thing about Andrew's role here in Peter's life. Another thing to point out is that what Andrew does here is both natural and intentional. On the one hand, it's the most natural thing in the world, just to tell his brother what he's been up to. He met somebody, and he, and he tells him about it, introduces him. I mean, that, that's pretty natural stuff. Um, and it's important to realize, like, telling people about Jesus can be a very, a very natural thing. I think sometimes we can be afraid of it being forceful or, you know, shoving it down people's throats, things like that. Uh, that can be a little bit off-putting. And I've been part of some evangelism trainings that really try to make it super nat, like very natural, like just be yourself, find your own style, like just go about your life and, and be you. But that tends to work for the people leading those kinds of trainings. They're usually the kind who just talk about Jesus all the time. But I don't know about you, but for me, if I'm just left up to, to just be me, I'm generally a little too self-absorbed to go out of my way and, and put myself out there for the sake of other people. This is also a very intentional thing that Andrew does. He doesn't just wait for Peter to come to him and, and ask him questions. He doesn't wait for Peter to come and uh, ask him what he's been up to or ask him about Jesus. He actually goes and finds him. Verse 41, again, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him. Not just wait till Peter expressed interest or, or put an put a easy question in his lap, but to go and to find him. It was a very intentional thing. That Andrew did too, natural and intentional. He goes and finds him. That's what Jesus does in the first chapter of John. Come in to find us. Move into the neighborhood. In some circles, uh, people who are not Christian uh, in some church circles are referred to as seekers. And I get it. You know, we're all seeking truth, seeking meaning, seeking purpose, and we ought to find that in Jesus. But if you look at the Gospels, it's actually not people who are the seekers, it's God. It's Jesus doing the seeking. The people are the ones being sought. People are the ones who are lost, and God is the one seeking and finding them. Jesus says this about himself in Luke chapter 19, referring to himself. He says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus is the seeker. Jesus is the one not just hiding out here somewhere waiting for us to find him, Jesus goes out to where we are, to where people are, to find them there. And as we're found by him, he puts that heart in us, puts that love in us to actually be the seekers, to not just sit around waiting for people to show up, waiting for people to come, waiting for people to ask us questions, but puts a seeker's heart in us to go and to find people and to tell them and to bring them to Jesus. It's actually very intentional, but it's also very natural we don't need to see the natural and the intentional as in opposition to each other. And sometimes we can get afraid, like, oh, if, I, if I'm intentional, if I go out of my way, if I'm deliberate about sharing my faith, you know, doesn't that, isn't that kind of inauthentic? Is that kind of unnatural? I like to just kind of let it happen, that sort of thing. Well, a lot of us, if we just sort of let it happen, we'll never really get around to talking about our faith with people. We'll never get around to pointing people to Jesus. It actually takes some intentionality, but it doesn't mean it's unnatural. In fact it could be the most natural thing in the world. For someone who actually loves God and who is captivated by the love of God and being transformed by God, it becomes natural to be intentional about sharing him with other people. It's actually a natural outflow of loving God and loving others to then look for ways to intentionally bring people in, to intentionally point people to Jesus. It's actually the most natural thing in the world. And the natural and the intentional come together. You know, when I'm intentional about spending time with people who are not church people, it's amazing how naturally more conversations happen about faith. If I intentionally pray for opportunities to speak to people about Jesus who don't know him, it's amazing how naturally a lot more of those conversations seem to come my way. The natural and the intentional are not in opposition, but they come together, and I pray that God would give us all a natural intentionality. We would be naturally intentional about Sharing our faith. You know, the thing that happened initially with Cassie and the the friendlies was kind of a natural thing. As she brought the ketchup and I was praying, it just sort of happened. But when I brought her the Bible, I actually, you know, I put some real thought into it, some prayer, and I made sure to show up at a a specific time when I was not actually even going to eat there, but I intentionally sought her out to give it to her, which was natural because I was really growing to love God and, and to care about this person. It was a natural thing to go out of my way to find her. Natural intentionality. That's what Andrew has here. He does the most natural thing in the world, but he's pretty intentional about it. And then God shows up in Peter's life. Third thing about Andrew's role in all this is that it's both simple and profound. Simple and profound. Andrew's invitation to to Peter here is pretty simple. He just tells him, hey, you've got to meet this guy. He brings him to him. He doesn't give Peter any real complicated arguments or reasoning or anything like that. Probably doesn't really even know a whole lot at this point. But he tells him what he does know, and he brings him to Jesus. He doesn't seek to first answer every question that Peter might have, and he's not even equipped to do that. But what he does is he invites Peter on a journey where he will find the answers in Jesus. He invites him to the source. And Peter eventually finds this to be incredibly profound peter ends up writing some of the most profound words in all of scripture that actually do explain who jesus is how he's the fulfillment of all the hopes of the the world and the old testament up to that point how he really is the savior of all people peter ends up understanding that but he has not learned that stuff overnight the gospels are pretty honest that he, he's actually pretty dense and pretty slow to pick up on all this stuff But he eventually enters into a very profound journey. And he doesn't learn all of this profound stuff from Andrew. Andrew doesn't even know all this stuff yet. He's going to be on a learning journey just along with his brother. But he gives a simple invitation into the most profound journey there is, life with Jesus. Simple invitation into a very profound journey with a very profound Savior. And he, he just invites him to know this Jesus for himself, invites him to talk to him, to relate to him, and to know him simply. So the invitation is simple, the journey is profound. Sometimes I think in order to try to make the invitation simple, we might be tempted to oversimplify the journey, to oversimplify what it means to know Jesus, to oversimplify the gospel, and just say, well, if you just kind of pray a very simple prayer where you admit that you're sorry for your sins and ask God to forgive you one time, you're kind of all set. Well, Life with Jesus is a whole lot more than that. It's something that is not just something you can do in 30 seconds or a few minutes. It actually is a whole life of being transformed and having every area of our life subsumed and consumed by the all-powerful love of God, something that will touch every aspect of our lives and leave no stone unturned. It's an incredibly profound, powerful, and complicated journey that takes a lifetime and an eternity to fully enter into. And we don't want to oversimplify that. At the same time, I think some of us who've who've known God for a while, who've been in church for a while, we kind of know that there's a lot to it. We know that it's pretty complex. We know that it's profound. And sometimes I wonder if we might talk to people about it in ways that are just way too complicated and and way over people's heads, where we front-load all kinds of information up front that gets in the way of someone simply entering into to a, a curiosity and a, and a walking with Jesus. It might overcomplicate things or front load things. It's possible. I know I do that sometimes. Now, when I was a new believer, when I was you know, talking to waitresses and friendlies about Jesus, it, it was pretty simple, because I actually didn't know a whole lot, but, and so all of my invitations were simple. I found that people were asking me a lot of questions, coming to me with, with problems and concerns, and generally what I would say was, huh, I don't know much about that, but I know you can talk to Jesus about that. I know that God loves you. I know that God has power. I know that he cares, and and you could probably come to him about that. You could probably talk to him. You could pray. you You could try to invite Jesus into that. That's basically what I would have to say. It was generally pretty compelling. And I gave away a lot of Bibles, actually, not just the one at friendlies. In fact, my campus minister at the time, he kept giving me Bibles, and then I would just give them away to somebody else. And so one time he gave me one, and he wrote an inscription like, please keep this one and don't give it away. Give away all the other ones you want. And so I still have that one with, with the inscription on it. But I was giving Bibles away, and, and frankly, I didn't know a lot of what was in there. I didn't know every book of the Bible, but I, man, I knew that there was life there. I knew you could find life there. I knew you could find God there. And so I gave it to people and, and without a whole lot of explanation, but other than I knew you need to go, you need to get in this thing. I might not be able to answer all your questions about it, but I know, I know you need this. So, so I was giving away a lot of Bibles. Nowadays, I actually do know all the books of the Bible. I could tell you their central themes and where they fit in the great scriptural meta-narrative. meta-narrative. I know a lot of this stuff. Been to seminary. I I know a lot of answers to different questions. I can tell you the soteriological methodology by which God made it possible for us to relate to him through Christ, various theories of atonement, and, you know, somebody has to. (laughs) But I wonder if in all of this, seriously, if if I've lost a little bit of the simplicity of the invitation. Sometimes I find myself, when people have questions, really trying to answer the questions and coming up short of actually pointing them to the source and inviting them to relate to Jesus for themselves. I was really, you know, we can overcomplicate things. I was really convicted about this uh, several weeks back. My son, Javi, invited several of his friends over after school, as has been happening, and in the chaos of about a dozen preteens running around and tearing apart my house, I was doing something ordinary, I think chopping watermelon at the kitchen table. A couple of the kids were there, and one of them, out of the blue, says, Hey, can you tell me about Jesus? I don't really know where it was coming from, how serious, what prompted the question, but I, I put the knife down. Oh, tell you about Jesus? Yeah, tell me about Jesus. A lot of thoughts flooded my mind in, in just a half a second. And I realized that everything that was coming to my mind first was way too complicated, way too complicated, and I knew it, this, this kid's 11, 12, and in this case, with an attention span of five seconds. <laughs> Everything I was thinking was not gonna be appropriate to the situation, so I, I did what Jesus would do, and I, I asked the question back. I said, well, what do you know about Jesus already? Which actually was fascinating to hear several of them talk and, and share some things that I'm, I'm happy to know. But then something happens, and we get derailed, and we're on to something else. The moment's gone. And I'm like, what's, what's the matter with you? You're a pastor. You can't even answer a simple question. Tell me about Jesus. I was kind of frustrated. And so I, I looked for another opportunity to come back to this. Intentional. And so I, when the day was getting late, I offered to be the one to drive some of the kids home. I said, well, let me give you a ride home. And in the car, the conversation at one point turns to... Um, ghosts and and scary spooky things in in their houses things that are are scary and and creepy and and i'd been praying lord give me give me an opportunity to come back to this question so i said hey um speaking of that you know you'd ask me about jesus um one thing i i really would want you to know is that there really are a lot of scary things in this world Um, even some bad spirits but you know jesus is more powerful than anything else out there in this world, more powerful. And you can turn to him anytime. You can talk to him anytime you're scared, anytime you're anxious, anytime you're lonely, anytime you're afraid, anytime you're happy. But whatever the case, you can talk to him, and he'll be happy to talk to you because he loves you. And she said, okay, cool. Who's texting me? (laughs) And in the shifting sands of middle school relationships. I have not ended up actually seeing this particular person again, but I'm pretty glad that's what I left with her. Pretty glad that's what I left with her. Hopefully, down the road, come to understand more of what the power of God really means and looks like in real life. Come to understand what it is that God did in Jesus to make it possible that we really can turn to him and talk to him at any moment, how he opened up that way. I pray that that she'll know it. But man, I was really convicted about how complicated I can make things. It's really, it is a profound journey to walk with Jesus, one that takes a lifetime to unpack and stretches on into eternity. But the invitation into it can really be pretty simple. There's a God, an all-powerful God of, all, of the whole universe, of the whole world, and you can talk to him. You can turn to him wherever you are in any ordinary circumstance, whatever kind of ordinary person you are, you can relate to him. He's really made it possible for us to do that. He's made a way for us to do that. And thanks to Jesus, we really, we really can know God. We really can turn to God and have him be a part of our lives. And that's the, the final thing to land on here in terms of Andrew's role, is that in this whole story, Andrew as a supporting actor, the real star of the show is Jesus. Jesus. The real star here is Jesus. The point is not to make Peter a star. The, the whole point of this is not that Peter becomes a really prominent, world-changing kind of person. The star of this story is Jesus himself. He is the one everybody needs to know. You know, Andrew doesn't come away from this encounter and say, you know, Jesus, you really need to meet my brother, Simon, because he's pretty awesome. He's an amazing guy, a really strong leader, someone you could probably use on your team. No, it's the other way. He runs to find his brother and says, you need to meet Jesus. He's the one. He's the star. He is the one you need to get to know. Your life needs to be caught up in him and what he's doing. You need to know Jesus. Jesus is the star of the show. And maybe Andrew learned that from his, his mentor, John the Baptist, who we see here in the beginning of this story points to Jesus. Look, the Lamb of God, follow him. You know, John ends up losing followers that day. People stop following him, they follow Jesus instead. And he's perfectly happy with that. It's not about him. It's about Jesus. Andrew has a nice little moment here where him and, and a very small circle get up close and intimate with Jesus. It's a pretty precious thing. And you know, he grew up with Peter. He's got to know if he invites Peter into this circle, Peter's going to take up a lot of space. He's going to talk all the time. And and sure enough, Andrew recedes into the background from this point on. But it doesn't matter because it's not about him. It's about Jesus, his rightful place in his brother's life and in everyone's life. Everyone we know, you know, Jesus is the rightful object of our full devotion, our full love, our full allegiance, our our whole life. Jesus is the rightful star of our lives and of everyone's life and of everyone's story. Jesus is to be the star. And we get to play a supporting role in seeing that happen, seeing holy things and holy encounters happen in the lives of people that we care about, in ordinary places, through ordinary conversations, and ordinary people like you and me. We get to invite people into the most profound thing, the God of the universe, inviting us to walk with him and to be transformed by him. And we can make, actually, stunningly simple invitations into that kind of life. It's a holy thing, but a very profound thing. And, and we can do it naturally, not just by you know, naturally following our own course, but by being transformed in our nature so that we love God and we love people so much that it becomes in our nature to be intentional, to go out of our way, to take risks, to pursue, to look for people, to put ourselves out there so that they might be brought into the circle with Jesus that, that we might be in. May it be so. and May Jesus be the star of our lives and become the star in many other people's lives. And may he give us an opportunity to extend that invitation.